hello. I'm Savannah. I'm Alicia. And this is Burden of Proof. What's up, everybody? What's up? Guess what I did today? Oh, yeah. Well, you know. I know. <laughs> Listeners can guess. I'll I bought my you. wedding dress today. And it's beautiful. <gasps> Alicia saw it because she's special. Um, yeah. So that that's that's what's going on in my life. Yeah. Moving to, uh, I have, I have job news because by the time this comes out, oh yeah, I will have started a new position. I, I've left, um, a smaller firm and moving into a bigger civil litigation firm. So paralegal mm-hmm. things. Paralegal things. Yeah. I'm just here. <laughs> <laughs> Doing the same old, same old. Same old, same old. Other paralegal things. Uh, we had a mediation go until like 10 o'clock last night, 1030. So that's wild. Did you was. have to be in that? No, I did not. Oh, okay. no, no, I didn't. Um, some some paralegals have to go when their attorneys have mediations, but not not mine. My attorney was like, no, you can go to bed. <laughs> go to bed. <laughs> uh, go home. Go to bed. Yeah. It's your bedtime. Right. Yeah. So listen, paralegal things. All right. Well, yeah. what, what you got for us this week? I have a listener request. Yeah. Oh. We're going to jump right into it, I guess, because we don't have any other business. I mean, other than the fact that our fantastic Patreon is going to launch in February. Uh, oh, yeah. Maybe buried the lead on that one. <laughs> 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 kind of forgot. Uh, we're launching a Patreon in February. You'll get Yay. access to live streams, behind the scene content. Um, yeah. Oh, you get to vote on a case every month. What else do we say? Lots of fun stuff. We announced it last week. I'm sure all of I you. I think we're going to start a private Facebook yes. group for. Yeah. Yes. Private Facebook group. Plus you guys can. There's just like you can communicate on Patreon as well. Yeah. So we announced it last week. If you want to hear the formal announcement. But I'm sure all of you are amazing people. And have already listened to last week's episode. So it's just for you newbies. It's just for the newbies. And so if you're a newbie after this episode. Go listen to the last one. <laughs> Yes, I'm super excited. I am too. Except, am too. you know, then I have to actually like put on real clothes <laughs> to do live videos. You're wearing real clothes. I know. I actually am today because I got to sleep in and take my time getting ready, which was very nice. Yeah, well. But yeah. that's not usually the case. So No, normally we record in the mornings. Yeah. Yeah. I wear real clothes. She doesn't. <laughs> I do so. I do so. But... I wear like the most comfortable things. Yeah, and, I, I do too. And my hair is usually a mess. And yeah, now I'm going to have to actually, you know, do yeah, something do for something. you fine folks so you don't get scared off by my face. <laughs> you have a beautiful face. Well, thank you. All right. Well, I think that's it. Let's do it. We have no debates to take care of no. today. <laughs> We oh, deba- that's the other thing the Patreon's going to get. Is <laughs> the Patreon's also uh, going to get a lot of those extra bloopers. Yeah, instead yeah. of putting them at the end, we will save them up, yeah. which has been good but awkward for some people. So we'll just save them up for mm-hmm. Patreon. I'll just make separate clips. For sure. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Now, do you know which listener requested this case? I do. I looked it up. Ah. So, um, the reason we're doing this one, just so y'all know, what as people send in requests, we have a list, and I do put them in order. Mm-hmm. My list is in order of when the request came in. However, 
you know, we want to make all our listeners happy. So um, I did put out a poll on our Facebook group. And so all of you had the opportunity to vote for the listener requested cases that you wanted to hear first. So we didn't do this on purpose, but the timing on this is excellent because if you like this process, we're doing it on Patreon now. Yes. In February. Exactly. When it launches. (laughs) Yes. So not right now. (laughs) Not yet. In a a Just a few days. Just a few days because this comes out on the 25th. So like four days and it'll be live. Wow. Now I feel like we're like one of those pledge things like we just keep bringing it up <laughs> call the 800 number and this is the last time i mention it okay you know i hate promoting things you're doing a good job though thank you you sound like that's what took me back when i used to listen to <laughs> christian radio so that my kids so that i had you know clean kids, music yeah, yeah that's the only way you can guarantee for your children young children's sake and they like once a year would always do the yeah fundraising and so in between, like, every song you'd hear. Mm-hmm. We're here today. <laughs> We're going to be doing this for the next three days. Yeah. Call the number. And then well, they start listing off who pledged. Oh, we can and do. And people get so excited. We can do Patreon announcements. we on the radio. We can do Patreon announcements if you want to include that. Yeah. Why not? Just I add know. more things. <laughs> <laughs> And more things to keep track of. Yeah, because we, because I, I do a great job of keeping track of things. You know, I'm so good about it. Never. Oh, I forgot. Same. <laughs> you're Honestly. you're not as bad as I. Recently, I feel like I've been horrible, but I'm doing better. It's yeah. the mold. You had an excuse. Okay, I swear we're jumping in. We're going. Yeah. We're that's it. Okay, Patreon February first. <laughs> Four days. <laughs> Four days. All right. So, those of you on and Facebook And if you want to groups- join our Patreon. <laughs> okay. Okay. For real. Those of you on Facebook group had the opportunity to vote. Some of you did. Some of you didn't. And this one was requested. And I did look up who actually originally requested it. And that was our listener, James. So, I hope I do it justice, though, because it's definitely more complicated than it initially seemed. Yeah. So we'll see. James, let me know how I do. <laughs> All right. I know you're listening, James. <laughs> All right. Going back to 1998. I mean, we made a joke you, this morning. You didn't exist. I didn't. Um, But we made a joke this morning. We went out to breakfast and my friend Savannah was born in, her name's also Savannah. It's confusing. She was born in the 90s, mm-hmm. like the late 90s, I think 99. And... um. No, it would have been 98, I think. Anyway, they ID'd her because she got like a mimosa or something. Mm-hmm. And they checked it really fast. She said they can check it fast because they see the 19. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was born in the 1900s. <laughs> okay. So we're in Florida in 1998. Corey Parker was a 25-year-old transplant from upstate New York who moved to Jacksonville Beach, Florida for the sunshine and beach life. Sounds like most people who live in Florida. Yeah, exactly. A social butterfly, she had no problem making friends everywhere she went, including public restrooms, apparently, which is where she met her best friend, Amy. I've met some of my best friends in the restroom. That's why we congregate there. (laughs) I'm 
I don't know. I guess I'm too neurodivergent for that. <laughs> I don't I, go in public restrooms. So I, I uh, just go in, do my business, and get out and try. I keep my head down. I don't make <laughs> eye contact. Yeah. So, but apparently they were waiting in line, and Corey, being so social, said, Hey, I've seen you around. Let's hang out. Yeah. Because it was a bar. Right. Restroom. Right. So, you know, you know you're always. They frequented the same. Right. Local bars. Corey attended classes at a local college and worked at the Ragtime Tavern. I want to go to that place. I hope it's as cool as it sounds. It sounds like it's so up your alley. It does. But then I'm a little scared because it's Florida. So I feel like it would be a disappointment. I Mm -hmm. hope it's not. If anybody listening knows, has been to the Ragtime Tavern, is it as cool as it sounds? Does it actually feel like you step back into, like, early 1900s? Anywho, Amy says that Corey loved being a server because she was a people person, but that she was also fiercely independent. Corey had just moved into her own apartment and was loving the freedom of living alone. But it sounds like she would love to be a server because she's so outgoing and that's how you make your tips. Yes, exactly. That's why I was a terrible server. (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah. (laughs) I was awful at that. Yeah, I can't imagine you being good at that. (laughs) Yeah, I wasn't. I've had a lot of jobs and I've been good at a lot of jobs. That is not one of them. Right. So in this new apartment, though, it was... A ground floor apartment. Okay. In a small building that was one of several apartment buildings in the area. You know, the the like older beach town yeah. kind of apartments that are like only four apartments to a building, mm-hmm. two on the ground floor, two on the second floor. And they're all separated, but they're not very far apart. Like yeah. they're a matter of like there's literally yeah. like maybe four or five feet between each building. Just I'm, enough I'm, for a walkway. I'm picking up what you're putting down. All right. Because that comes into play. That's very important. So Corey made fast friends with a girl named Ashley. She was 18 years old who lived in the apartment right next to Corey's. Ashley lived with her mom and her older brother, Joe, and says that she really looked up to Corey like a big sister. Aww. And according to Ashley, one of the things they would often talk about was Corey's new boyfriend. Ooh, Corey's seeing someone. Yes. And despite only meeting said boyfriend weeks before, Ashley says she thinks Corey was really falling for him. Okay. So everything in her life seemed to be going great. And her future looked bright. There was just one problem. Corey began to learn firsthand about the dangers of living in a ground floor apartment. Oh, are there dangers? Yeah, you went from living with your Uh, family to living with your significant other. So when you're a woman living on your own and you go to look for apartments, most of us have learned that you don't want a ground floor apartment. A neighbor had informed Corey that they witnessed a peeping Tom looking in her window. Oh, because of the windows. Yeah. They're easier to break into. Yeah. You can have peeping Toms, etc. 
And I thought earlier, oh, she's lucky it's ground floor. She doesn't have stairs. <laughs> yep. Oh, Sorry. You deal with the stairs. Uh, yeah, I have never. Creepy story time. I had a peeving Tom <gasps> despite living in a second story apartment. Oh, my gosh. Wait. Was he on a pogo stick? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry. No. Unfortunately, the apartment that I lived in by myself was a style that is not very popular. Definitely not popular these days. But it was built, I would say, I think in like the late 60s, early 70s. And so it almost had like a motel vibe. Okay. Like you take the stairs up to the balcony and the balcony runs along the right. entire building. So your window is right there. Is on the balcony. Like people walk past right. just like they would on a ground floor. And there was a guy that lived below me and his mom lived in the apartment next door to me so he would always be like coming upstairs to go mm -hmm. to her apartment so he had a legitimate reason for walking past my apartment but there's like three times that i could see his shadow stop in front of my windows and he was trying to look in in between my blinds so i could never leave my blinds open yeah it was bad i was so glad to move I from that place i hate it here yeah anywho so that next door neighbor, Ashley, she says that Corey began spending the bulk of her time in her kitchen at the back of her apartment once she found out about the peeping Tom. She just tried to avoid Where doing a window. whole lot. Yeah. Other part is like, why would anybody try to be looking in your yeah. kitchen window? <laughs> they're obviously going to go to like a bedroom window. And if nothing's happening there, they're going to look in like a living yeah. room window right. or a bathroom window. I've never really tried to think extensively about what I would do as a peeping Tom. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, you're but learning But I mean, if you have to. <laughs> yeah. But I, I get what you're saying. Yes. All right. So the last time that Ashley saw Corey was in that kitchen the day before Thanksgiving of 1998. She says that she and Corey hung out and had a beer while Corey made pies to take to a friend's house the next day. When they were done, Ashley went home and Corey left to meet some other friends at one of their favorite bars, The Ritz. The Ritz. They have some good bar names. Mm -hmm. One of the friends meeting Corey there was a newer friend named Tiffany Zienta. And Tiffany actually turns out to be the last known person to see Corey alive. According to her, they left the Ritz at the same time around 1.30 a.m., but Corey drove herself and Tiffany left with a male co-worker. Okay. Corey had told Tiffany that she would stop by the next day for Thanksgiving dinner, but then she neglected to show up or call. Okay. Weird. Tiffany says she was left disappointed and that it was not like Corey to do that. But everyone carried on with their day. Before anybody thinks, you know, that's your friend and she didn't show up. And if that's not like her, yeah, why didn't you try to track her down? You don't have a cell phone. Well, I want to just make my thoughts clear. And soon you'll see why. But this was a relatively new friendship, and mm -hmm. there's a lot of speculation surrounding Tiffany, specifically Tiffany's feelings for Corey. Oh. So I personally don't think that it was weird that she didn't go over and insist, like, where are you? Why didn't you show up to, you know? 
I don't think it's weird. It's a new friendship. You like you, you don't exactly regardless exactly. of anybody's feelings or homosexual undertones. Like yeah, you don't. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't matter because like I have I have friends that I'm relatively newer friends with. I wouldn't. If they neglected to you show know? up, like you, you might give them a call, but yeah, like, you're not like, going to go track them down. Whereas right. if it's like your very best friend, you're going to be like, where were you, bitch? <laughs> oh, yeah. I would, you said I would, you were going to show up. I would pull up at my friend's house. But yeah. But yeah, I mean, in, in e- even now when I could just like pull you up on Snap Maps and see where you were, you're, where yeah. you are, I still don't think I would be like. Well, you said you were gonna. I would just be like, "Are you okay?" Yeah, and she's at Thanksgiving with her family. Right. Like Corey said she was gonna come to her family's for Thanksgiving, so it's not like Tiffany's just sitting there alone, all sad with nothing else right. to do. If I was Tiffany, I'd be like, "Well, you know, she may have just thought it was weird to come to my family's, or she had to exactly. go run an errand, or what." Like, you don't know, right? Yeah. So leave my girl Tiff out. Well, yeah. Well, that doesn't bode well. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, well, I mean, you'll see. Obviously, I mean, I already alluded to she was the last person to see Corey. So, you know. Well, yeah. That's why I say, well, because you do have to look at her, at least for a second. Anyway, it wasn't until the following day when Corey failed to show up for work that her coworkers became concerned. And one of the cooks there, who was a friend, went to her apartment, saw her car there, but received no answer at the door when he knocked. He went back to work and reported it to the manager, who then became alarmed and sent him back and said, do something more. Yeah. <laughs> F- like, figure it, figure out. it out. Don't don't leave or call the cops if you have to, whatever you had to do. Well, and again, like we, like we said last week, this is why you're employed, so that people notice when you're gone. <laughs> exactly. So he went back, and this time he tried looking in the windows and through a crack in the blind or something like that. He could just catch a glimpse of a foot in the bedroom with what appeared to be blood on it. Okay. So he rushed back to work, and then they called police. Okay. Normal reaction? Yes. The police show up. Right. They confirm with the neighbor Ashley which apartment was Corey's. They entered to find Corey had been brutally murdered. According to former assistant prosecutor Angela Corey, yeah, her last okay. name is Corey. Okay. Um, the scene was gruesome. She says you could tell right away that she had fought for her life. As the investigation was underway, Word spread fast that Corey was gone. Of course, detectives wanted to speak with all those close to Corey because despite the neighborhood and apartment building not appearing mm, all that safe, they pretty instantly suspected she knew her killer. So basically what I mean by that is this place was three blocks from the public beach. So police knew that It's a very transient area. There's people drinking and walking at all times of the day and night, et cetera. It's not the safest place, but based on how she was killed, typically speaking, when somebody is brutally murdered in this way, 
police are going to suspect that it was somebody that knew her. It was personal. Yes. So the reason that I say that is because it appeared she had been victim of a sexual assault and she had clearly been stabbed an ungodly amount of times. Okay. Regardless, they also canvassed the neighborhood and surrounding apartment buildings looking for any information that could help. Neighbors did inform them about that peeping Tom they had seen, and through their forensic investigation, they did find that the killer exited the apartment through the kitchen window. So they're like, okay, but still... Forensic psychology typically says if somebody's going to stab you that many times, it's like with passion. Yeah. And they usually know you. So did they go through the window because they didn't know her and they didn't want to be seen? Or did they just not want to be seen because the thing is there were bloody handprints? Yeah. So they were bloody. And like with the way that you're making this crime scene sound, it does not seem like a very clean situation. So that I it mean- was not. I'm glad that you said that. Like, not only messy because of the crime, but the place in general, based on pictures, she didn't keep a clean apartment, or at least mm-hmm. not at that time. Right. So, well, she wasn't expecting somebody to come in, and it's the holidays, well, and it's busy. Yeah. <laughs> Cut my girl some slack. <laughs> yes, possible. So, <laughs> but she's also a 25-year-old college student. Who lives alone. Who lives like, alone. It's her mess. She has to live with it. Yeah. Who cares? It, it doesn't. I'm not judging. I'm not saying that in a judging way. It's just the facts. So, you know, many of us have been there where you just didn't care. I live alone. It's my mess. It doesn't matter. I'll clean up when somebody's coming. And clearly, she was not expecting this person to oh, come. Oh, absolutely not. Like I said, there were smeared bloody handprints on the kitchen counter. I'm sorry. On the inside and outside of the sill of the window, on the kitchen counter, there was just like a drop of blood. Mm-hmm. So he or she uh, lifted themselves, climbed up onto the yeah. counter to get to the window. They dripped blood and then there's smears. So they couldn't get prints from those smears, but they could do other testing. Yeah, like DNA testing. Yes. And they said that it appeared that the perpetrator had gripped the windowsill to kind of lower themselves to the ground. Now, unfortunately, they also found a plethora of other forensic evidence as the apartment, like I said, was not the cleanest. It was clearly well lived in. They found multiple hairs, fingerprints, items strewn about, all mixed in with the blood splatter. It made for a lot of evidence and samples to collect. Mm -hmm. They found multiple hairs that didn't all match. Right, but it could be her friends. It they could had, be... you know, dishes in the sink that had multiple fingerprints. And yeah, that's exactly it. She was 25 and a college student and a server and had lots of friends and they hung out and she had a boyfriend. So they're going to come over yeah. and make a mess. Because of Corey's popularity, narrowing down the possible suspects proved to be a lot of work. They were able to rule out her new boyfriend fairly quickly, though, because he had flown out of town for the holiday. All right. He not only had the documentation of the flights, but a solid alibi. I I mean, listen, this is going to sound this is going to sound kind of morbid, but this is a true crime podcast. The relief you must feel. 
I mean, obviously mm-hmm. he's going to be devastated that his girlfriend was just murdered. But also when you're just like, oh, thank goodness that they're not going to be like dragging my whole life up because. Yeah. I'm sure. Because. Yeah. Everybody always looks at the boyfriend or the right. husband first. I want to make stickers that say it's always the husband. But it's not always. It's not always. Sometimes it's the boyfriend. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right. So next they looked at her neighbor, Ashley's older brother, Joe. Police felt that he was too vague when asked where he was at the time of the murder. He had said he had been home, but he didn't really have like a I was solid alibi in the for shower. the entire time period. Yeah, he was like, well, I was home, and then he might have said that he left for a little bit and, like, came back, but there was no, like, oh, I was definitely here doing this with this person kind of thing. Right. Which we all have those times. They became especially concerned when they believed that they had a match to a hair found on a sock in Corey's bedroom to Joe, but it was matched using a rudimentary microscope comparison and also he's her neighbor and like his and sister their friends is best and friends. they hang out all the time like not yeah. to be weird not that this is weird but like i wear my brother's socks sometimes if i go to my mom's house and i'm just like well yeah and i borrow Corey's a pair of sock? sock but all that that means is he was in her apartment not even. And it means that Ashley was definitely, like, one of yeah, them was in the yeah, apartment. You know what exactly. I'm saying? Yeah. So I was just thinking, even if Joe walked in the apartment for a matter of minutes. It could be there. Because she you doesn't You could drop clean. a hair, and then she's walking around, and her sock picked it up, and then she took it off in her bedroom, and there you go. So Good it's Lord, explainable. I will be trapped to so many crime scenes, because yeah. I shed everywhere I go. Same. It's the curly hair. It's amazing I still have hair I on my swear. head. <laughs> so Joe gave investigators a sample of DNA and they moved on with the investigation. Because, like I said, it it is explainable as to how his hair yeah. would be in there. After multiple individuals pointed detectives in the direction of one of Corey's co-workers, oh. Eric Eli... He was a dishwasher at the Ragtime Tavern and had a nasty reputation for hitting on the servers, including Corey. It struck detectives' interest, though, when, he, when they heard that he had asked Corey specifically to come over for Thanksgiving multiple times despite her continuously saying no. Okay. So they took Eric in for questioning and were very direct with him. When they asked if he had invited Corey to a Thanksgiving dinner, he said, quote, I might have mentioned it. But then he admitted that he had made the dinner and then called her to ask if she'd join him. Literally, the day of Thanksgiving. So weird. That's so weird. Yes. The one detective then asked, do you think you were obsessed with her? Eric responded, Quote, yeah, I was slightly obsessed, but I wouldn't do anything. The second detective quickly interrupted, saying, quote, You were greatly obsessed, Eric. Jesus, admit it. My God. 
He's like, I'm sick of your and, shit. And this is a female detective. Yeah. That's saying this. So she can see right through him. I want to know, and you're not, you, you probably don't have the answer to this, but like in my head, I'm thinking, I want to know what her best friend thinks. Who does her best friend think killed her? Because that is okay. where the answer is. I don't know that her best friend had an answer for that. Okay. Um, her best friend had left town to go to families for mm-hmm. Thanksgiving. And um, I think she was just as confused as anybody else. There, I think they all, like all of their friends had some fear of like, who would do this? Was it random? Is it somebody she knows? Like, yeah. And they all looked kind of suspiciously at everybody in their yeah. friend group or people that they knew. Oh my gosh, how scary. Um, but yeah, she doesn't allude in any of the interviews that I saw with her. She doesn't allude that like, oh, I definitely thought it was this person. So I don't know that she knew. All right. Back to Eric. Sorry. That's okay. That's a legit question. I mean, you know. I'm just saying cuz if if I died and it was a one of my friends or somebody that I knew, Kale would be able to figure out <laughs> who, who it was. was. Yeah. Yeah. So Eric admits it. He says, I was. I was obsessed. And this is when things got even weirder. Eric then admits that he has violent fantasies towards women. And when the detective asks him to share some more on that, Eric says, quote, you mean like take them into a bedroom and rape them? Did he offer like that he has violent fantasies towards women like unprompted? I don't know for sure because okay. I didn't have the full, the full thing. thing. Because how random would that be? Yeah. Just be like, were you obsessed with her? Yeah. And I <laughs> have violent fantasies about women. I'm not I mean, I'm sure how it, it came about. I'm guessing they probably asked him something about it. I'm sure they did. I was just... Um, But here's why he shares that. Because they then dove into asking him how he thought she was killed. Okay. To see. Because at this point, nobody really knows. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not public. And Eric said, quote, Taking her down when she was tired and he just poked her, you know, did whatever. Stabbed her. Cut her throat. Real specific, Eric. The second detective said, you sound like you know a lot about what happened to Corey. How would you know that? And Eric said, quote, how would I know? Because maybe I would share the same thoughts as this Uh, person that did it. I would have liked to have fantasized myself doing it instead of him doing it. But I didn't do it. Eric, buddy, I think you did. (laughs) Well, they ultimately had to let him go, though. Because there was no evidence at that time placing him in Corey's apartment. And he continuously denied doing it despite his weird admissions to violent fantasies. Weirdo. So. I'd be like, keep a cop on that one. Because even if it wasn't Corey, it'll be somebody. (laughs) It'll be somebody. So detectives turn their sights on another potential suspect or person of interest. That's a lot of people. Exactly. I told you it got complicated. I expected it to be pretty straightforward and it got real complicated. Um, Corey's friend who was last known to see her, Tiffany. Like all of Corey's friends, Tiffany talked with detectives to give a statement, but her interview was a little more intense. Because not only 
was she the last known person to see Corey, but she claimed to have called her about 45 minutes after leaving the bar, but phone records showed no such call. And amongst, like, the acquaintances and friends, there were a lot of accusations that said Tiffany had been discussing the murder a lot, including details of the stab wounds that had not been made public. Interesting. Well, here's what I'll say about that. Just because they haven't been made public doesn't mean that somebody doesn't know them and has told other people. True. Just because it's not on the news... True. You know, this is, I mean, w- when I say there's a lot of people here, but it's still a small circle. It's all her friends who pretty much probably know each other. Yep. In later interviews, she claims that she knew more about the crime scene because she had a paramedic friend who, who was there. Was there. Right. Now, did I forget to mention the autopsy report had come in? Oh, okay. Corey had been stabbed about, I'm going to say about a hundred times. Because how are they ever going to really know? Because some sources say, one source I think said 101 times. Other sources say like in the 80s or 90s. Um, So I'm not exactly sure and without paying money. This was a case that I really wish I had like a budget for yeah. <laughs> because that's the only way that I'd be able wow. to really confirm things. This, But she had been stabbed a ridiculous amount of times. This poor girl. Um, approximately half of those were executed post-mortem. Oh. After she was actually dead. Yeah. Poor thing. But. I, I mean, I just can't get behind the level of rage Yes. That somebody has to have, or like, you know, emotion. And that's, this poor girl was this vivacious young woman. This is just horrible. But here's the weird part. There had been no sexual assault. So apparently the killer just wanted it to look like there had. And remind me how they had been. She was laying like. Okay. Spread eagle. She was nude. But she was laying in a very in a position in a, yeah. that made it like look like okay. oh we expect this to be like yeah you know a sexual assault and then stabbing right and she wasn't that's important I think I know why it's important but I'm not gonna you don't oh you I have don't no idea what's coming okay. I promise you <laughs> I promise you this is a crazy case okay okay. So those same friends that apparently had a lot of speculation and things to say about what Tiffany was doing after the murder, they also speculated about Tiffany and Corey's relationship. Several of them told detectives that they questioned the nature of Tiffany's feelings for Corey, implying that she had unrequited romantic feelings for her. At this point, Tiffany had left Jacksonville Beach, which is where she grew up. She grew up there. Okay. And she left for New Orleans. And when detectives wanted to talk with her again, she was not interested in cooperating this time. Now, in her interviews, she doesn't come out and say that this is the reason she left Jacksonville Beach, but she does make it very clear that her life got really hard when everybody started 
all those speculations and looking at her like maybe she did it. So I kind of got the impression that like literally she left her hometown. Well, and you know, she's in her mid 20s and she's grown up there. And, you know, it's not weird to me. I have so many, so many of my friends grew up here and Mm -hmm. leave and we're in our like early to mid 20s. Yeah. So I can't imagine. I think I would have this. I think I would do the same thing if if I was accused of murdering somebody that I cared about. Yeah. So I don't know if she left to get away from everything, but felt confident knowing like I didn't do this. Right. So I don't care if it makes me look guilty because people already think I might be guilty. So who cares? I'm not sure. Or if she actually legitimately like left for I don't recall. I don't think she says it in the interview specifically. But mm-hmm. in any case, she went to New Orleans and when they went back, you know, started combing back through and wanted to talk with her and they show up in New Orleans, she lawyered up. She wasn't having yeah, it. Well, so detectives had to get a court order for her DNA sample. Okay. That's fine. Uh, Tiffany says that she didn't realize at the time of the murder that being the last person to see Corey would instantly make her a person of interest. But she realized later on that detectives had, in fact, been suspicious of her from the beginning. That tracks for so, me because you're not going to think that when... Yeah, you're in shock that... I mean, we might because we're a little... Yeah. <laughs> we're special. But the average person doesn't think that. They think, oh exactly. my gosh, my friend is dead. They don't think... Yeah. And, oh, and yeah, like- and I want to help. So right. I'm going to tell you I was with her and what time we left mm-hmm. and where she was and all of that. This is such a fascinating sociological case. Like, it is. see the interpersonal relationships between everybody here? Yeah. She says that she does not know why her phone call didn't show up on records, but her attorney assured her that he had seen that happen on other cases, that sometimes Hmm. it just the system glitches and the phone call's not there. I feel like it, I I don't know how it worked at this point in time, but I, I know now that there's so many different points at which a call is recorded, not recorded, but like you could track that it happened. You know, there's points yeah. between your phone, the cell tower, the cloud, the other person's This probably phone. wasn't even a cell. So it it probably literally only had between one point of contact. So I can see how that would happen. Yeah. So she also denies being infatuated with Corey romantically and says that while she thought she was a beautiful and wonderful person, she herself is not gay and was never harboring those feelings. Okay. So she says that she got the attorney because she was scared and felt helpless. And, and well, and she got an attorney because she should have gotten an attorney. Anybody that's a person of interest in a murder investigation yeah. should get an attorney. Absolutely. Even though they got her DNA and they had, I believe they had Eric Eli's DNA and they had Joe, the neighbor's DNA. Mm-hmm. A year went by with no arrests. Because there was not enough definitive evidence linking any of those suspects to the crime. And DNA technology was in the middle of advancing at that time. So not yet capable of what they needed to make mm-hmm. like full determinations. And then a reward of $20,000 was posted for information leading to Corey's killer. I have mixed feelings about rewards. 
I don't know how you feel about it. You're okay with it? I don't think that, I mean, I think that in any situation, especially around crime, there is going to be pros and cons. But the pro is that anybody who is who has information but is scared to come forward has a little push. Okay. You know? Yeah. But that's that's looking on the positive side of somebody's not going to exactly. come through and be like lying or they're going to Yes. You know. So, you you know, I see I see both sides of it for yeah. sure, but and I'm not completely against it for that reason. Like I understand I, there's pros and yeah. cons to it. I just you know, I when like, you hear cases that you think you wonder, like, is that a? Mm, I know. like when they word it, a twenty thousand dollar reward for evidence that leads to an arrest. Like, if you, what you give us directly assists in the arrest, that way it's not just like random, you know, little lie. Oh, yeah, I mean, of information. it has to be helpful. Yeah. But even that being said, sometimes this is one of those cases. We'll get there. Okay. We'll talk. Remember this. Remember this. Make a mental little note because mm-hmm. I don't want to give too much away too fast. Okay. But you'll see what I'm talking about. So a man by the name of William Rensler, who prefers to be called a fugitive specialist, heard about the reward and decided he'd look into the case. Hold on. Band named. Call it. Called it. Fugitive <laughs> specialist. That's a band. So it's also not a job, but go ahead. Well, they called him a bounty hunter. And he he was like, I prefer the term fugitive specialist. (laughs) So fair enough. That is a job. That is a job. I just didn't really know what that meant. I didn't. He's just, you know, he's a bounty hunter. It's like the homemaker saying I'm a domestic engineer. Yeah. He noticed that there was something odd about one of the neighbors from the building next to Corey's Mm -hmm. when he conducted his own canvas and coupled with the information that that he was able to get already collected on the case. Robert Denny was just 17 years old at the time of the murder. He had lived in a second floor apartment in the building next to Corey's. Mm -hmm. William took note that Robert had left Jacksonville Beach shortly after the murder occurred, and as he and some of his friends were hanging out celebrating Memorial Day, he began discussing the case with them. And at least one of those friends said they recalled the murder and told him that they actually knew Robert Denny because they used to work at the same restaurant as he did before he left. And they told William that They remember Robert had an extremely distraught moment within a couple of months after the murder, claiming that he had to raise money to travel back to his home state of Texas because his son had died. So the staff of the restaurant had all chipped in to help him out, but were angered to learn after the fact that he had lied. He had no children. He was 17. I mean, he could have had a son. Right, but... but He was 17 and had lived in Florida for a little bit before all of this happened. Yeah. But I don't know that they knew he was 17 Mm -hmm. because he, I think he had a roommate in that apartment or it's a little murky as to his living situation. So I'll get into that in a second. But William there 
took his findings to the detectives on the case who confirmed that Robert had been interviewed by police on the initial canvas, but there had been nothing unusual about his behavior. He claimed not to know Corey, and they may have mistakenly underestimated him because of his young age. Mm -hmm. Following the leads given by William, detectives went back to the apartment buildings to take a closer look at the proximity of Robert Denny's apartment to Corey Parker's. Mm -hmm. What they found was a bit alarming. Robert's balcony overlooked Corey's kitchen window from only a few feet away. Mm-hmm. When the detectives followed up with those former co-workers of Robert's, they told them what they remembered about Robert, and one of them in particular, named Lisa Sedgwick, also told state prosecutor Angela Corey that she had been with Robert at some point, I don't know, hanging out, maybe stopped over at his apartment, and he admitted that he would watch the woman in her kitchen or in her apartment. He's like, yeah, I watched that woman down there from my balcony. But, bruh. Yes. Now, the description of the peeping Tom witnesses had given detectives at the time of the murder did not match Robert, but they had to follow every lead regardless. And technically, she could have had multiple. (laughs) Like, we don't know. She could have had multiple people watching her. So detectives found out Robert had a sister that still lived in the area, and they interviewed her. What she told them was disturbing, to say the least. She referred to her brother as a night creeper, stating that she called him that because he would be up at all hours of the night, creeping around the house in the dark. Uh, 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 uh. A night creeper? A mm-hmm. night creeper. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Hold on. I'm not ready to move past that yet. Because okay. <laughs> I have a younger brother. Yes. And he's up late and he'll he'll make he'll make a full dinner in the kitchen at like two o'clock in the morning. Because mm-hmm. we'll wake up at well, I don't live with my parents anymore, but like we would wake up and there would be dishes in the sink that he'd made a meal. Never would I have thought that he was a night creeper. Like, so what was he doing in the dark that made his sister go, She's a night creeper? Well, one of the things that she found out was that he had a um, definite addiction to pornography. I'm lightheaded. You're lightheaded? Yeah, this is making me lightheaded. <laughs> like, I would say that it's making me nauseous, but it's really just making me lightheaded. Because I'm like, oh, gosh, I'm feeling faint. <laughs> the night creeper? Mm-hmm. That's what she said. I think not. Between his night creeping... It's a verb. His addiction to pornography. And then the final act of her waking up to find him standing (gasps) in her room staring at her as she slept. Oh, no. She kicked him out, which is why he was a 17-year-old living alone or with a roommate or something in the apartment by Corey's. I assume. I'm not 100% on the where he was living and with who exactly whatever terrifying but i if i'm piecing all the information together correctly like he was living in florida with her and then she kicked him out so then he was living in this apartment i would have (laughs) physically kicked you like (laughs) 
No. Yeah. I'll just, I'm just <laughs> letting you process. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Can you give me a physical description of this guy? Like, is he tall? Is he short? Oh, you haven't looked him up yet? No, I've been filming my reaction for Patreon. <laughs> so he is... Honestly, he's one of those guys that you would not think is harmful. He looks pretty innocent. Oh, okay. Especially back then, because he was so young. He looked like the kid next door. Like, he didn't look scary. He didn't look evil. He didn't... He just looked like your average kid. Yeah, I, I, yeah I'm looking at him. He looks normal. Yep. I mean, he might look like you might pick up that he looks like... I don't know. This picture looks really well, night creeperish. <laughs> well, he can't help when that you the, add in the glasses. The prison, the 80s, and the 90s. Excellent glasses. glasses. That's not from the 90s because oh, uh, he didn't even get arrested prison. until the early 2000s. So that's just prison issued glasses. <laughs> Sorry, I'm making it my life's mission to find the worst possible picture of him now. Okay, I've seen his picture now. I, I kind of know what we're dealing with. But still, right. the night the night creeper is uh, going to haunt me. Yeah. So the sister told them that she hasn't been in touch with him. They, they are no longer talking. They haven't talked in I don't know how long, but she did know where he was. Okay. And that was in Easton, Maryland. And she said he's there living with a woman that he had met online. Okay. Which he was. So at this point, this is not quite two years after the murder. So he's like 19. Mm -hmm. And he was living with a 49-year-old <gasps> woman, I believe. Oh, my Lord. And you know how I feel about age differences. We do know how you feel about age gaps. <clears throat> and that is a mighty big one. That's a mighty big one. That's 30 years. Yes. That's a 30-year age gap. <clears throat> that's like... that. No, that's... Yeah. I don't. So here we go to Maryland. Yeah, let's go. Detectives go on a road trip. And they decide they have to come up with a plan, though. So they asked Robert to come in for an interview, but not about Corey Parker, about a supposed recent assault case that they were investigating. They lied. There was no case. But. Their plan was to ask some standard questions about this fake crime and him knowing that he didn't commit the crime. He's like, yeah, I'll go in. Their hope was that he would have enough confidence in that, that he would keep his guard down and, and provide them with a DNA sample. Yeah. Okay. I can see their, I can see their, their mission, their plan. And this is where... Those youthful, innocent looks of his go right out the window. Because this didn't work. And as soon as he was asked to provide a sample, he became less cooperative. So they tried another way to get his DNA from an item used during the interview. But remember that at this time, they needed a fairly significant sample. Yeah. And it had to be hair, blood, or saliva. So Robert was a smoker, but every time he smoked during the interview, he would put the cigarette out and then keep 
a cigarette butt. And the detective said he would stick it behind his ear. Right. Instead of leaving it in the ashtray. So they offered him a drink of water, a bottle of water, which he accepted, but never took a drink of. So they resorted to lying about needing him to fill out some paperwork. And then they asked him to put each form in a separate envelope. Lick the envelopes. Mm-hmm. Lick them, Robert. He filled it all out, placed each paper mm-hmm. in an envelope. They didn't like it. And then pushed them across the table. He then looked at them in the eye and said, you have tried to get my DNA sample three separate times. You can seal those envelopes yourselves. Is there anything else? I, I, my mom has a saying where if you say something sassy to her, she'll go, How's your head? Because I just kicked it across the room. (laughs) I would have slapped him upside the head. That's ugh, so arrogant. The detectives did not give up easily, though. They staked out his workplace, which was a small computer store. And once again, Robert was a step ahead. Damn it. They would watch him each time he went outside for a smoke break. And each time he would hang on to the cigarette butt. I mean, who knows? Maybe he's just really environmentally conscientious. He doesn't want to litter with his nasty cigarette butts. I was going to say, how? I mean, like, I'm not trying to generalize, but like, typically, smokers don't always care. No, most of them don't. Yeah. Most of the smokers I know just throw them on the ground. Absolutely. So that's what they were kind of waiting for, except he never did it. But finally, on day two of the stakeout, Robert kind of slipped up. And while he was out, he started spitting on the ground. Which is the grossest habit known to man. I will say it over and over and over again. It is the grossest. <laughs> it is the grossest thing. I don't understand. I don't. And I don't get it. I, do you feel the need to spit all the time? No. What? No, but a lot of smokers do in particular. Well, right. Yeah. Well, I can tell you the solution to that problem. And I've problem. never been a smoker, so I don't know. No. Well, I, yeah, obviously. <laughs> Stop smoking. <laughs> but, like, I just, I, li- listen, we live in the South. We live in Florida. Yeah. But it's not really the South. No, because most people who live here <laughs> You got to go North from like, us to I get am, to the but South. But <laughs> I am from the South. Like, I am from North Carolina. Yes. Yes. People who spit on the ground. It just makes me like, it just makes my whole body. <laughs> and I can say this with love because my fiance does this sometimes. And I look at him every time and I'm like, I hate when you do that. <laughs> it's disgusting. I love him. I just envisioned you saying like, I hope he's guilty because he spit on the ground. <laughs> I do. <laughs> okay. So detectives collected a sample from the spit on the ground and sent it off to the lab to compare to the rest of the DNA Whoever had to scrape his spit off the ground, I hope they got a nice fat Christmas bonus because that is horrible. Specifically, um, they wanted to test it against one of the many hairs that they found because I don't have the details on this. But for whatever reason, there was one specific hair found in a pair of panties that were closest to her body. They believed they were the panties that she was wearing when she was attacked. And there was one hair in those panties that they believed 
must belong to the killer. Yeah. So, even before the DNA results were in, though, detectives were pretty set on Robert Denny being the killer. The thing that may have been the nail in the coffin was what they learned about his brother. Is there a second night creeper? Oh, no, there is a second night creeper. In 1990, eight years prior to the murder of Corey, 15-year-old Patrick Denny went into the home of 27-year-old Teresa Latimer. Teresa had been a customer on Patrick's paper route. Two weeks after he quit said paper route, he went to Teresa's home claiming he was there to collect money due for the papers. When she turned to go get the money, he entered behind her, locked the door, and began stabbing her. She was stabbed nearly 100 times, but never sexually assaulted despite being found nude just like Corey Parker. That's my head exploding. I told you. <laughs> That's my head exploding. What? Yep. And I'm assuming that his brother is in jail. Yes. So pa- it was Patrick, not his brother. Patrick was tried Sorry. as an adult. I just got very loud. It's okay. It's fine. Patrick was tried as an adult and sentenced to life in prison, a time he was obviously still in prison when Corey was murdered. I I just, I, I mean, just what the? What, yep. What? Okay, okay, okay. Hold on, I'm processing. So, so, he, okay, so it could be two things. These are my first two thoughts, and obviously this means that this is the end all be all, because my brain is amazing. <laughs> Um, no, I'm just kidding. So, it, either Robert is stupid <laughs> and did the exact same thing that his brother did, or somebody knows what Patrick did and knows that Robert was a night creeper and lived next door and did it to make it look like it was Robert. Right. Hmm. The problem is, they're all so equally crazy. I don't know which one is the more likely scenario. Yeah. Because so, I'm not going to write off that Eric looks super suspicious with his violent fantasies towards women. True. And his obsession with Corey. I'm not going to write that off just because this guy is a creeper in the night. And his true. brother is also a murderer. But gosh, those are really specific things. Those are two yep. really hard traits to pass up. Wow. All true. What a case. What a case. Wow. Here we are with one brother sentenced to life for stabbing a woman to death and another brother about to have his fate sealed by DNA evidence for a remarkably similar crime. Would you just look at it? Sure enough. Would you just look at that? Would you just look at it? Look at it. <laughs> she literally still has her hands on her hips. I, I'm just looking at it. Like what? I don't really know what to think. Well, sure enough, Robert's DNA matched to the one of the hairs, at least one of the hairs. Okay. Found at the scene and one of the blood samples taken from the kitchen. Okay. Okay. So So, that, okay. So remind me, did Eric have any 
DNA. To at the my crime knowledge, scene? there was no DNA okay. evidence okay. showing so Eric was, in the house. He just wants to hurt women. It's he's just, just a weirdo. Actually, okay. he's he's not entirely a weirdo. I think the reason that they weren't quick to hold on to him if they didn't have DNA evidence was because he apparently had been diagnosed with schizophrenia. Oh, okay. Which is why he was a little weird. Because he probably right. wasn't being treated properly for it. Right. Well, and yeah, okay. So. And I say all that to say, like, that's the thing. Yes, obviously somebody with schizophrenia could commit a crime like this. Right. But. But I think the reason that they ruled him out is the DNA didn't match. And they're like, yeah, he's just weird and creepy and has. And his violent fantasies towards women aren't necessarily things he's going to act, act on, on because he knows he has a mental health disorder. Like, I, I understand what you're yes. saying. But now so, he's, you know, Robert's got two pieces of DNA that do match. Yes. So the rest of the potential suspects were cleared. I feel comfortable with this. But the prosecutor, Angela Corey, told detectives, no, you can't rush to arrest him yet. Because she did not want to give him the opportunity to explain away the DNA evidence. Right. Because I understand they don't have a ton of other evidence to back it. Correct. They needed him first to deny having been in Corey's apartment. So. Yeah. The female detective on the case, Katie Kingston, went back to Maryland and paid a visit to Robert's house wearing a wire. Katie Kingston. Fantastic name. Good alliteration, <laughs> solid syllables, good name. It is. She admits that her plan was to pretty much play dumb yeah. and set up the premise that they had caught the man responsible for Corey's death and that she was just there to finalize his statement on the case. So Katie asked pointed questions as though she was like reading them off a checklist. Smart. She was excellent. <laughs> she did such a great job. Things like, do you know Corey Parker or have you ever talked to her? And then he was like, no. And she'd be like, okay, no. <laughs> <laughs> she got to the question, have you ever been in her apartment? And he said, no. She then clarified asking, so y'all didn't go back and forth to each other's apartments? To which Robert responded saying he only ever went to the apartment right next door to his and indicated that it was a man who lived there. She confirmed a second time, reiterating the question to which he said no again. And that was it. That was all they needed for the prosecution to get the warrant for his arrest, nearly two years after Corey's murder. Now, once in custody and questioned, Robert's tune changed. Instead of being that calm, like, yeah seemingly cocky i'm two steps ahead of you kind of attitude he completely broke down crying and said there was no way they could do this because he didn't kill her and he's not his brother nevertheless he was charged with first degree murder at the trial the prosecution really had to rely heavily on the dna evidence they had at least one of the co-workers that had come forward who could testify to Robert's strange behavior and lies about needing to leave Florida 
They had a statement or testimony from Robert's ex-girlfriend stating that the Zippo lighter found near Corey's body in her bedroom was like the one that Robert had carried previously. So. Okay. Tiffany Zienta, there was a little more to her testimony than I had initially found in court. She actually testified to going out with Corey the night before Thanksgiving, the phone call after, just as I had said. But she also said that she did stop by Corey's between 4 and 5 a.m. when she was on her way home from wherever she went with the male coworker. Um, She said she knocked on the door, but there was no answer, so she went home, assuming that Corey was asleep. Okay. What's really scary about that is they don't know exactly what time Corey was was killed. killed. So it could have literally been happening, like, when she... But we don't know for sure. Mm -hmm. So Robert took the stand in his defense, but was unable to explain why his DNA would be in Corey's apartment. He simply said he didn't know. And then he offered a theory that perhaps the wind blew his hair into her window from his apartment. Or a neighborhood cat carried it in. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Yeah, okay. (laughs) Sure. This definitely did not help his case. The defense team didn't really have a theory either, and they went public with the fact that they could not get the crime scene samples because the state had either misplaced them, destroyed them, or consumed them already in testing. Okay. So instead of being able to test everything through their own experts, their strategy during trial was to discredit the evidence because there had been several samples collected at the crime scene that did not match Robert. Yeah. But again, that goes back to her place was a mess. There had been multiple people in her apartment, like friends yeah, and I stuff. Mean, so there was going to be a lot of different people's DNA in there. Yeah. The trial lasted three weeks, but the jury only took 45 minutes to deliberate. Robert Denny was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison. Now, Robert maintains that he is innocent and has been going through the appellate process for years. All I could find on the process, though, was the decision on his 2015 appeal, which was denied, uh, the written closing arguments from his 2018 appeal where he had been granted a new sentencing hearing, but he was requesting a new evidentiary hearing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm assuming all of which was denied because the next document that I found was a 2021 decision affirming his sentencing. And he is currently still serving his life sentence. But... If anybody out there is doubting his conviction, have no fear, because Robert Denny will tell you all about it in his blog that he started back in 2013. Listen, he's got a blog. He's a serious man. Very yeah. busy man. And here's the thing. I'm, I'm a fair person. So I am going to link it in the show notes if anybody is interested in what he has to say. I really did look into it because I was going to talk about it a little bit. But honestly, I'm really struggling with this one. And, you know, the math just ain't fully mathing for me. Like, 
it's some just... some of what he says i'm like okay like i could see it going that way but the fact is i have zero dollars for an investigation budget so <laughs> right so well and also that's just not how we're structured so yeah it's so not... and everybody knows you know like with the chris wright case i was willing to say i don't think i could have convicted him on what i know about the case with this uh, this comes down to basically what it boils down to for me is the DNA. Yeah. And he claims, his attorneys claim that there's some shady business about the DNA. That the labs either did not, even though it was tested, I think at two or three different labs, that they didn't follow protocol and or like, why was it misplaced? That is a little sketchy. That is a little weird to me. But I don't know. I'm not a DNA expert. Mm-mm. I don't claim to be. I just think it's so it. I mean, I mean, obviously, it's so bizarre that his crime is so similar to his brother's. I mean, they're identical. Yeah. And so, oh, so that like the thing that you said about like being set up, that's the other thing for me was like in the Chris Wright case, there was. There was people, or one person in particular, but there were people, shady people that had more reason right. or a greater motive to kill the victim. In this case, there was there's no really one. not. Like, you do creepy, night creepy stuff that your sibling, you know, to that the your point where your says. sister kicked you out. Well, your coworkers talk about you lying and being a little weird. Yeah. Which, er- like, if Eric- I was. If I was your sister and your brother you had committed this crime and then you're watching me when I'm sleeping, oh, hell yeah, you're getting out. Yeah. You know, his defense or in his blog, he talks about like, they took the word of my sister who, who hasn't had anything nice to say about me in years and we haven't talked. So like, how can you trust somebody that doesn't? Well, that's just it is that they don't know, but like. If all of these different people have nothing good to say about you, like, what are they supposed to do? So really, for me, honestly, like, I understand what he's saying. He makes claims of, like, the ex-girlfriend that testified against him just did so because she had warrants out for her arrest and they offered to work with her. Okay, like, I could see somebody doing that. He claims that the ex-coworkers of his just did what they did for the reward money because why wouldn't they have come forward sooner? Why did they wait until there's a reward being offered to come forward and say, you know, I remember that that guy, the weird guy that I used to work with lived in the apartment by. Okay. That's, yeah, that's fair. I say that that could be either, that could land either way. But the DNA evidence really is like, that one's hard for me. Because there is no explanation as to why it would be in well, the house. Much of his appeals are based on that because they claim that they didn't follow protocol, that neither of the labs follow protocol. His attorney came out and publicly said at some point that the person that testified, the actual mm-hmm. DNA lab technician that, that testified at the trial just flat out lied. Like, I don't have all that. That's the problem is that I couldn't get the full documents yeah. of the appeals nor find unless I so, go and spend a bunch of money. I mean so, we're in a situation where we have to trust the jury. Yeah. They heard all the information. Exactly. And they only took 45 minutes and that's that was usually fast. that's I mean 
I, I mean, don't know. if there was any doubt in their mind, it would have taken them longer than 45 minutes. 45 minutes is long enough for them each to go to the bathroom and eat a snack. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, wow. I would love to know more about Robert and Patrick's childhood. What? I believe it was very messy. Right. Well, it for had sure. to. I mean, because what, how would they both have ended up? Yeah. You know, it's just so it's just and I mean, I, I think that clearly if if it was one, you know, both people committing these crimes so similarly, clearly one of them did it first and the second one followed in footsteps, even if that was never their intention. Yeah, that was one of the things that I don't know how police detectives found this out, but there is a clip from one of the docuseries. I think it was the Cold Case Files clip in my show notes that the detectives um are kind of like sitting around having a meeting mm-hmm. about how evidence played out and everything and um somehow they were told that Robert had always looked up to his older brother cuz Robert is like at least like 7 years younger than okay. his brother so he was a kid he was i think he even says on his blog he was like 8 years old when his brother was 15 and stabbed that woman yeah. So they talk about how he had always looked up to his brother. And so their theory is that like, yeah, like you wanted to be like him or or maybe it was like a rivalry because he says, no, I'm not my brother. And I don't know that he's had contact for, with his mm-hmm. brother in a long time. So it's so fascinating. It is. It is. And I wish that I could have done more digging, but. But here's my here's here's my final my here's my final thoughts. I think that if I was sitting on that jury, it would not matter the why. It would not matter why he or his brother did this or what cuz I'm assuming yeah. they they weren't able to bring evidence about his brother into this case. Oh no, no, so I don't think that it was in the trial. So at all. it doesn't it clearly it didn't affect them. All yeah. that matters is that the evidence points that he was the one in the apartment and that he was that he had no other reason to be there other than to kill her. And that's the burden of proof. That was the, the Well, and the DNA wasn't just a hair. It was blood. It was the blood right. by the kitchen, the drop of blood by the kitchen sink left right. by the killer when they climbed up on the thing. That was their blood. Mm-hmm. So and it matched to him. And so how do you, I, how do that's you argue where, that? like, how do you and without I mean, getting into the nitty gritty science of and I did. I, I even put one of my links that I found about like how DNA evidence can get contaminated and stuff. I tried to start looking into it. Of course, it was like way beyond my scope of whatever of time of capabilities etc um but even that talked about mostly like if you're going to contaminate it it's not going to match to some random person it's going to match to like the lab technician (laughs) right handled it right or like maybe it would have matched to like somebody else in Corey's life or it would have been inconclusive yeah i I don't know I think on this one, I'm going to go with the jury because they saw all the evidence that we didn't see. They heard all the testimonies. And I'm sure that the defense was like in the moment, you know, that that's what they have to cling to is that the DNA didn't work. Yeah. So I think he did it. He was convicted. So (laughs) there you go. Kapow. Wow. That's a horrible case. I mean, 
a, a really fascinating one, though. Yes. Thank you, James, for suggesting it. Yes. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. If you made it this far, leave us a bug emoji, a little worm, a night creeper, if you will. <laughs> yeah, that works. Unless you had something else. Uh, no, not really. Okay. Leave us a night creeper. Yeah, that works. A night creepy crawler. A night creepy crawler. All right. If you want to see my reaction, <laughs> join us on Patreon. <laughs> I can't. I can't. That's <laughs> so weird. I hate promoting stuff. Yeah. We'll get used to it one of these days. One day we will. All right, All right. guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye. next time. See Bye. you next week. Maybe one day we'll get an outro right. Yeah. Maybe. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening, guys. Find us on Instagram and TikTok at Burden of Proof Pod and email us at burdenofproofpod at gmail.com. Bye.